Girlfriends, episode number 234, Healing After Miscarriage, with Karen Edmiston. Hello, and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we are talking to my friend and fellow author, Karen Edmiston, on the topic of miscarriage, infertility, smaller family sizes. I can't wait to share this important conversation with you. Let's get going. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? Welcome to the newest episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. Greetings from the Tiki Hut. It's been a while since I recorded from here. Those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. Glad you are joining us. If it's your first time here, I hope you're going to enjoy the time that we spend together here at Girlfriends and want to come back and be a part of our community. If you've joined us here before, perhaps you've heard me talk about the Tiki Hut. So the Tiki Hut, for those who don't know, is a structure on our property, a building that Dan built for me years ago. I won't say how many. Okay, it was eight years ago for my 40th birthday. And um, we were planning a family party and he decided he wanted to have a tiki hut. And you know what? That sounds like a small thing, but this is no small thing. It's a wonderful summer place for us to hang out. It has a bar. It's got a roof on it. It's got open sides on two ends. Um, It's got bamboo in here. It's really a very beautiful and peaceful place to sit and record the podcast in the summer months, in the spring and the fall too as well a little bit. But also it's a wonderful place to come and pray, I have discovered. And I've been spending time here as well as on our pool deck this summer, uh, just really finding quiet time to pray. And that inspired me this morning when I was in my prayer time, I thought to myself, I need to check in with the girlfriends because I knew I'd be recording today with, are you making time for prayer in your life. So sometimes we like to do these regular check-ins about getting physical activity, about taking care of yourself, about eating well. But I want to check in with you today about your spiritual health. How has it been this summer? Have you been making time each day, deliberately setting aside time for prayer? I don't care if it's five minutes. Do you have time in every day set aside for connecting with God? If you don't, it's not okay, and we need to talk about that. We need to figure out how we can make it possible. We need to figure out how you can find at least just five minutes that are devoted to quiet, reflective time for prayer. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can be as simple as turning off your phone, closing the door, closing your eyes, and placing yourself in God's presence. It's that simple. And it doesn't have to be perfect. There might be a day where you try to do that a million times and get interrupted a million times in one. I get it. I know. But make that effort. The fact that it's difficult sometimes, the fact that we're busy and distracted is all the more reason to be more deliberate and intentional about setting aside time for prayer every single day. So if you're not doing that, let this be your little nudge, your encouragement to find a way to do that inside of your summer routine. Many of us are kind of turning our thoughts toward the fall and the coming school year and how things are going to shift and change then. Well, take advantage of whatever's left of your particular summertime. Here, it's actually a little bit extended. My big kids are going back to school a little later than usual because of COVID. Um, The school's still figuring out how they're going to handle that. But whatever it looks like where you are, I want to encourage you to take the rest of your summertime, your summer schedule, whatever's going on in your summertime, whether you're working, whether you're home with kids, whether you're planning a trip, and just focus on how you can be more intentional about making time to pray every single day. 
So commit to that. That's your homework for today. And I just wanted to do that little check-in with you. For me, I'll share with you that for me, it works out to do it first thing in the morning. I've shared before about doing exercise first thing in the morning because the thing is, if something's a priority to you, doing it first thing in the morning is, is actually really important because that's how it actually gets done before you get interrupted, before you get distracted, before your day can run off the rails and a bunch of people are making demands of you in a thousand different directions. So if prayer time is important to you, do it first thing in the morning. That's been working well for me. And if it means you know setting an alarm for five minutes earlier than you otherwise would, do it. Make that time. And you know what? I've been more regular about praying first thing in the morning than I have been about exercising first thing in the morning. But I feel okay with that. I feel balanced about that. And yeah, it might mean that there are days where I don't fit in my exercise. But if I've gotten my daily prayer time in, everything else seems to fall into place. It's not magic, of course. And not everything always works out perfectly. But once you do that, your priorities are more in order. Once you give your day to God in that way by giving him your first few moments then things have a way of kind of falling into place and there's there's more peace and balance as you go about even a very busy day at the end of that. All right, so that's your little check-in, your little reminder, your little encouragement to take on this homework assignment and find that time every day. It might not be first thing, but once you do it, let me know. Let me know what's working for you for the remainder of this summer season. Okay, this week I have a conversation I'm going to share with you that I recently had with Karen Edmiston about healing after miscarriage. Karen and I go way back in the blogosphere, back when blogging was a thing, and she's a very dear friend of mine. I respect and admire her so much, and especially her book on miscarriage, but we're going to share about all of those details, and you're going to hear some of Karen's story, and I hope you're going to be encouraged by it, because miscarriage is something that touches so many of our lives, so many of our experiences inside of family life, especially inside of Catholic family life, where we are open to life, we are more vulnerable and more likely to experience the loss of pregnancy inside of our marriage, especially if we are living out our Catholic faith. So this is a really important topic for Catholic women to come together and share about. So I'm, and Karen does it so beautifully. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Check it out. Hey, everybody. I am excited to have a special guest. A dear friend of mine going way back is joining me here on the podcast today. Karen Edmiston is here with me. Karen is a former atheist who converted to Christianity at age 30 and was received into the Catholic Church at 35. She's a freelance writer, editor, and the author of five books, including After Miscarriage, A Catholic Woman's Companion to Healing and Hope, Deathbed Conversions, Finding Faith at the Finish Line, and You Can share the faith, reaching out one person at a time. She's also a writing coach who loves helping young writers find their voices at Brave Writer. And she recently wrapped up 20 years of homeschooling. You can find her online at karenedmiston.com. Welcome, Karen. So glad you're here on Girlfriends. Hi, Danielle. I am so pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thrilled to have you. Now, we're going to be talking about um, some some of those topics that deal with the things you've written about. But first and foremost, I am just taken aback and blown away with the the last little line of your bio there, (laughs) wrapping up 20 years of homeschooling. You have graduated. Yes, Yes, we have graduated three daughters. We homeschooled all of them all the way through. 
And I don't know if you were ever this way, but, um, you know, when we began, I was like, well, we'll do it this year and we'll see yes. what happens. <laughs> you know? And I did always say one year at a time. And I really meant that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when my, especially when my two older girls reached high school, we would check in every year and we would say, this is still working for you. Is this still working for me? Are we all happy with this? And, right. um, and they were, and it was working. And so before I knew it, we had graduated. Our oldest is 26. So that was a few years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, then our 24-year-old, um, those two are now a librarian and an elementary school teacher. Wow. And, um, and then our youngest was six years younger than our middle daughter. So she just turned 18 this oh past gosh. week. And so she finished up in our homeschool this year. So yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I always think homeschooling moms should have like a cap and gown ceremony ourselves. Yeah, I like know. I know. Yeah. We exactly. not earned this. <laughs> totally. I the just for want us, a right? diploma. The party is for us. Yes. <laughs> Completely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, but I do you, have to say it was a it was a, a little bit it was the strangest graduation we've had with yeah, I'm sure. during a pandemic. Right. Um, but she has made the most of it and um oh. Oh, so and great. hey, it's still a graduation. She still did it. And she did. Done. And I'm done. I, and you're that's done. the weirdest part is that I don't have another right. one coming up, you know? Right. right. So, yeah. I love that. And, you know, yeah. reflecting back on it, like you, uh, so for those of you who aren't familiar with Karen Edmiston.com, I mean, Karen goes way back. She's like an OG <laughs> in the Catholic mom blogosphere, homeschooling. You've been a homeschooling mentor we're, to me going way oh, back. Oh, no, that's sweet. No, vice versa. Vice versa. I was going to say, we're both old school, right? Yeah. You were, and you, when I first got into writing books, I was, I remember picking up your first book of essays and, um, and I read and I was like, oh, she did what I wanted to do. I love this book. <laughs> Just a book about motherhood and homeschooling right. and, you know, the joys and the hard stuff and the right. honesty. And so I've always loved your writing for all those reasons. So oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, we've really enjoyed some time together and we've never met in person that I'm no, aware I of. I, I was trying to think before no, we came on. I can't. One of these days it's going to yeah. happen. We'll, yeah. We'll make I it hope happen. So. Yeah, but truly, I mean, I think, you know, the ways that we've connected online has been truly meaningful. And I think oh, yeah. there's, I mean, it, back when people were blogging, it was done through that way, then through social media. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, like through the podcast, I think these right. are wonderful tools um, that we can use to encourage and support each other inside Absolutely. of- all the ups it's, and downs of Catholic yeah, living. It's very real community. You know, it's, it's very real and very, I, you know, I have leaned on online support through all the years of, well, since my conversion, really, right. um, and and definitely through homeschooling. Yeah, it's been invaluable. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, today I want us to talk about the topic of miscarriage, which is the topic of one of your your books, um, because I heard from a listener on our Facebook group. So we have a Facebook group for the Girlfriends Podcast, which is a private group. Anyone who wants to join, if you're listening, you qualify. So you can go to <laughs> facebook.com slash group slash Girlfriends Podcast. If you can't remember all of that, the link is always in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. But inside of there, there was um, one listener who reached out and just said, hey, have you ever done a show or thought about doing a show on the topic of miscarriage, smaller size families, struggles with infertility, all of those things. And I thought, you know what? I don't think I've directly addressed that. And then my thoughts immediately went to you, Karen, because your book about miscarriage, so it's titled After Miscarriage, A Catholic Woman's Companion to Healing and Hope, is one that I have given out to people in their time of need time and again, recommended it over and over again. I think it is such a needed resource in a place 
inside of the church where there's not a lot of conversation going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can just, to get us started, describe for us a little bit of your own experience and what led you to write that book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned in the intro, I um, converted to, I grew up as an atheist, basically. My parents were were both unbaptized. They just simply were not churchgoers. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, and they still are wonderful people, but they simply were not uh, people who, they weren't raised going to church. We right. didn't go to church when I was growing up. Um, and so by the time I was in college, really, I was an atheist. Um, I fell into some really bad habits and some really destructive habits, and I became a really unhappy person and started mm-hmm. looking for the meaning to life. And um, and I ended up finding Christianity um, thanks to I I can't say I just found it. Obviously, God found me, mm-hmm. uh, but I had wonderful friends too who helped lead me to Christianity, and then five years later into the Catholic Church. Um, now, somewhere along the way, there when my husband and I married. Um, we both agreed we were not going to have children at all. We married before I was a Christian, um, and he was not really practicing Christian of any kind. And so we got married agreeing that we were not going to have kids. And after um, I was baptized, I was baptized in the Episcopal Church initially, um, Christian teachings became, it all began to get a little bit clearer that there was a little more to marriage than I had thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that, you know, perhaps having a family was a good uh, part of marriage and a, a part of marriage that I did want to explore after all. Um, and my husband, uh, God bless him, uh, just came along on board with that. And so we started trying to have a family, but right away we had two miscarriages in a row. Mm-hmm. And um, so initially, I, I sometimes thought and I worried that this was my punishment for having been away from God all my life. And fortunately, I realized, you know, God does not work that way. That's right. not what he does. Um, he ended up being with me in beautiful ways through those losses. Um, but after those two losses, we did end up having um, our oldest, beautiful Emily. And we had um, then Elizabeth. And they were born about two years apart. And after that, my husband said, like, okay, you know, I, I think we're done. And um, I said, well, you know, this Catholic thing, <laughs> like, <we're not> really, <laughs> that's not really up to us exactly. Right. And um, I, I don't think we mentioned it in the intro, but my husband was not Catholic. Um, he did come into the Catholic church about five years after I did. Okay. So lots of big, long stories there, but trying to keep this short. Um, <laughs> once he was also Catholic and we were on the same page, um, he, he was also open to life. And so we once again just thought like, well, you know, what will God give us? Well, you know, we ended up with three more miscarriages oh after gosh, our two yeah. daughters. And, um, and I just thought it was over at that point. And um, then miraculously, when I was 42, we had my youngest. And um, it, well, again, so many stories I could go into. Uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it short and then we can move forward. But having had five miscarriages myself, obviously that, that was one of the motivating factors mm-hmm. um, behind this. I know what it feels like. I know how hard it is. Um, and also having a smaller Catholic family. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, something that your listener um, was getting at is that um, once I became a Catholic and I was open to life, um, it was so difficult to be around. At times, it was difficult to be around, you know, my friends with big families and people mm-hmm. who were very open to life. And their openness showed. It was visible. Sure. And I sometimes would feel judged for having a small family if people didn't know our story. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I can even point out times where I fell into that kind of judgmentalism or, you know, rigidity where I thought I saw someone without any children or with one child and, oh, you know, are they not open to life? Are they, I would even find myself doing that, you know, and, um, and none of that, of course, is our place. All of this is in God's hands. Um, But hopefully that's kind of the long story short. Mm -hmm. My own experiences, you know, both with losing children and, um, and acknowledging how hard it is, um, there there were very few Catholic resources when I wrote this book, and I really had to push with the publisher to even have them accept the idea. It wasn't they weren't super open to it at first. Mm-hmm. Um, so between that and just and just dealing again with the smaller family size due to you know losing children, or with some people it's you know an infertility problem. Sure, ours was a little bit different. Um, but all of that led me to want to just share with other women. Um, and let them know that they're not alone and um, that so many of their feelings are normal. Their worries and fears are normal. Um, things like, I couldn't baptize my baby. You know, right. what's going to happen to my baby's soul? Um, all of these things. I just, I just wanted to reach out and hold somebody's hand and say, you're yeah. not alone. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing that. Because like I said, this book is a, a really a, a gem. It's a treasured resource where there's so few, thank like you. you said. Um, why do you think that is that we're so uncomfortable with this? Like, you know, sometimes um, I'll go on, you know, something on social media and people will be sharing, I, I don't know, there's some sort of like a meme going around where people are sharing about their family size. And and I'll note maybe the number of people who who note miscarriages, right? When they're saying mm-hmm, like, I've had, mm-hmm. these are my babies that I've had, I have boys, girls, mm-hmm. whatever. And then these losses. And it really stands out to me. I, I've gone through some threads where there are multiple people sharing in that way. And it really yeah. stood out to me as this kind of conversation needs to be happening on a more regular basis, because I think it is much more common than people realize. Mm-hmm. There's so many people who are grieving in this way and yet feeling yeah. like they're alone in it. Right, right. And uh, yeah, and I'm not sure why it is because we, we are a church that is all about life. We are, we're right. open to life. We support life. Um, I remember in, in conversations with the publisher about getting this particular book published, um, someone on the, um, on, the, on the publishing committee had said, and it was a priest, and he said, there's a pastoral vacuum here. He's like, she's right. We do need this book. Right. And um, so he, you know, he recognized it. Um, it's out there. Um, I, I don't know if a lot of priests have, you know, not necessarily had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is still something that a lot of people keep quiet, right. <clears throat> excuse me, keep quiet about. And there's, um, you know, there's, I certainly understand that side of, you know, not telling the world that you're pregnant until you're three months along because you mm-hmm. don't want to have to tell everybody in case there is a loss. Right. So a lot of times people are very silently and privately grieving. And I do think that's part of the, um, I don't want to call it a problem because mm-hmm. that is, that's everyone's choice is how they're going to handle that announcement. Right. Um, the fact that it does, has remained quiet and they are then silently grieving that that just can compound their grief because you know I, we can all imagine like losing someone we love and not being able to tell anyone not right. being able to have a funeral not being able to acknowledge that in any way mm-hmm. and yet the initial choice to keep it quiet perhaps leads them to want to continue to keep it quiet but that can make it even harder for so, sure yeah, yeah it's kind of compounding the challenge that it is for people mm-hmm. um, so in you, of course, created this resource, which is a wonderful source of support for, for many women inside of the church and outside of the church. Um, but how about you personally? What did you find was most helpful in 
um, getting you to a place where you could find healing, especially after suffering yeah. so many losses. Yeah. You know, it was a gradual thing. There were, um, there were steps along the way with, with each loss, I could look back and it was often only after a year or two or more had passed, I could look back and see exactly how God was with me through each loss mm -hmm. and exactly how I grew closer to him through each loss and how I came to believe more and more strongly with every loss that those children are in heaven with him and they are praying for me and they're praying for their dad and they're praying for their sisters. And um, so it was, I mean, it's all God. It's the credit right. all goes to God. And, and, and just the way that he helped me see that although, yes, there was great suffering in these losses, there was also incredible growth mm -hmm. in my faith and in my relationship with him. So. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful place to be able to come to. But like yeah. you said, it's not an overnight thing. Right. It's exactly. Exactly. Really a lot of pain that. to get there. Yes, exactly. And acknowledging, it's important to acknowledge that there is suffering there. You know, we don't want to just say like, well, I lost a baby. That baby's in heaven. We're fine. We're moving on tomorrow. You know, no, mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. We do, we have to wade through the suffering. The only way to get through the suffering is to get through it. There's no right. way around it. <laughs> so yeah. It yeah. takes time. You know, exactly. if you, you can relate it to something that takes a long time to heal from physically that's just exactly um, I remember recovering from a surgery that I had once and I was so frustrated with how long it took and how months mm -hmm. later I was still too tired and still feeling this pain and you know that that really saps you um, yes. of your zest for life and uh, the same applies I think to the kind of spiritual healing and emotional hearing healing that you need yeah. after this kind of a loss and especially suffering multiple of them I think too often we don't, because of our discomfort, I think, as a culture even, that we don't want to give people that grace of time to mm -hmm. grieve. We want to make it all better. Like you said, an instant fix. I have a good girlfriend who suffered multiple miscarriages, and she shared with me that one of the things that was hardest for her was that people were tired of it. Right. Like people were yes. like, are you still talking about that thing? Like, right. Um, and how hard that is if you are struggling mm -hmm. with something as, as great as that to have to yeah. deal with other people wanting to gloss over it. Right. Exactly. And that was, uh, that was a, a motivator for the book as well was just acknowledging that this is an incredible grief. And, um, you know, it, anyone who has ever been pregnant, you know, that the minute you find out you're pregnant, your life is different. Right. You are, that person is with you from that moment on, sometimes from before that moment on, because you're dreaming and longing for that baby. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it's not something that you get over in a couple of weeks or as soon as you're physically back to normal. Um, there are reminders, there are residuals, there are worries, as I said, you know, the worries about baptism, which I will mm -hmm. say right now, women, mothers, fathers, please do not worry about that. Yeah. Um, you know, our church, exactly, exactly. Um, our church does teach that baptism is a sacrament for the living. And if a child was not able to live and be baptized, God knows his way around the rules and the ideas and the guidelines that he gave to us. He knows how to take care of that. Trust right. that. Trust in him for that. But there, there are all those ongoing worries. I know a woman who worried for five years that she was in mortal sin 
because she lost her baby at home. She wasn't able to bury the baby. She worried about oh the gosh. way she had lost the baby, you know, alone in the bathroom at home. And oh she did gosh. nothing wrong, but she was agonizing over it. Mm -hmm. And those kinds of things, I just, I wanted to get it down on paper and just share, you know, the love and the mercy of God is right. with you. You do not have to carry these wounds. Those are wounds that you don't have to carry. Right. There are other wounds that, yeah, you're going to carry that emotional wound and loss for quite a while. And that's, mm -hmm. and that's normal too. That's another thing. I think that, as you said, people, other people around you are ready to move on so fast, mm -hmm. but I wanted to let women know it's very normal and it's okay. If you're not ready to move on right away, you're grieving, give yourself time to grieve. Right. No, I think that's such an important point to make for anyone who's suffering from any kind of a loss. Of course you want that healing, but recognizing that it takes time and giving yourself mm -hmm. the grace of yeah. the, the time that it takes. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, your, your experience, perhaps your own or what, what others have probably shared with you since putting out this book of um, a sense of trusting your own body, perhaps. Um, we women have such complicated relationships with mm -hmm. our bodies, you know, and right. you know, with our body image to begin with. But then with regard to our fertility, I know from so many women sharing with me from their hearts about their struggles with this, we feel sometimes betrayed by our bodies if we can't get pregnant when we want to, or if we can't carry a pregnancy to term, mm -hmm. or we feel betrayed by our bodies because we got pregnant when we didn't want to you know, all of mm -hmm. these things. I think our, our spirituality is so intimately connected with our fertility that this is a place where we, many women do struggle. And mm -hmm. I, I wonder if you could share a little bit of perhaps your own experience of that or what others might've shared with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can relate to that very much. Um, after having had, when I became pregnant with uh, Katie, who is our youngest now, um, and that was after three losses in a row. Mm -hmm. And I had I had finally reached a point where, you know, our older girls were about eight and six and I was homeschooling them and we were all loving our life. And I thought, I guess this is it. You know, I've, I've lost three more babies. I guess God doesn't want us to have any more. I accepted that. And then I got pregnant and then I was scared to death. You know, right. it was, it was that trust, you know, can I trust my body? Can I trust God? What, mm -hmm. what, you know, I was right. afraid, I was afraid to even be happy about it. And, um, all I could think was like, what if, what if, what if, what if I lose this one? What if, and I was just sitting one day trying to quiet myself and just ask God to help me through this, to help me through this fear, this terrible fear I was feeling about how my body would probably betray me again. And, um, and I suddenly felt, um, all I can say is that he gave me this thought that if I did lose this baby, would I want the short amount of time I had with this baby to be spent in fear? Or did I want it to be spent in love? And I thought, no, I want this baby to know whatever happens at this point. I want this baby to know that I loved him or her. Mm -hmm. I didn't know at the time it was a her, but um, I, I wanted to spend it in love. And I realized mm -hmm. that I, no matter what happened, I, I had no control over what was going to happen. Right. But I did have control over choosing fear or love. Now that's not to say that I magically from that day on never felt any other fears or when there was a twinge, I, you know, right, I didn't sure. get worried. Um, you know, none of us are perfect in that way. And, and we can't just turn on a dime like that. But that message that, that I felt God put on my heart that day stayed with me. And 
I was so much more at peace from that moment on. So, right. Oh, that's a beautiful way of looking at it, kind of putting everything in the right perspective with regard to that anxiety, which is normal, mm-hmm. right? Yes, think- absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah you're going to feel it. And again, I think there's just that assurance. I think it's so important that we women kind of assure each other that, like, the anxiety is normal and it doesn't mean that you have less faith. You know, mm-hmm. as I said, after even after that moment, that in the big picture gave me more peace. That doesn't mean that I didn't have moments of fear and worry and right. those are normal and, and that's okay. And God understands those. God right. knows that, you know, that does not mean that you don't trust him. That mm-hmm. means you're human. So, right. <laughs> right. I look at them as invitations yeah. or reminders to trust in God, right? Because yes. You, yes. Can, you can't choose if this worry or this anxiety comes into your mind, right? right. But you can choose how you respond to it. Exactly. And maybe that's, you're going to have a hundred worries in a day. Well, exactly. maybe a hundred times you're going to yes. say, Jesus, I trust you. Yes. You're going to make that exactly. choice. Yeah, I was just going to say, you might have to choose again and again and again and again, because <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> yes. But what a gift that is to our Lord to repeat yes. it that many times, right? Yeah, and I think absolutely. He's, he's patient with us in, inside of that process. It's, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful choice that we have the opportunity to make. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about family size because you alluded to okay. that and the listener who originally shared on the Facebook group about this topic was was also asking about family size because mm-hmm. that is a tough thing. I mean, yeah. we women are a giant mess in regard to how we <laughs> judge ourselves, judge other people, always yes. like kind of like looking on, you know, out of the side of our eye, like comparing like, oh, I wonder if this person does that or if this person's mm-hmm. thinking that or, you know, and nothing shows more obviously than the size of your family, right? right. And for better right. or for worse, it can feel like a big, bold statement you're making to the world, which mm-hmm. of course is completely unfair, often inaccurate, not at all a complete picture of where somebody right. is. You never, never know. But as often as we have these conversations reminding ourselves, you never know and people aren't judging you. But I mean, th- I think at the same time, it's something very real that's mm-hmm. a temptation for all of us and that w- we struggle with. Maybe you right. can talk a little bit about that. You you yeah. said sometimes you had trouble um, being yeah, around you know, larger families. I'm just going to go ahead and share a quick, this is a, a quick little section from the book. It's mm-hmm. um, just uh, about a page long um, and it's a small book. I was going to hold it up. Your listeners can't see this. But... <laughs> you can show me. That's cool. <laughs> see? <laughs> it's a beautiful book. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, but I call this section Invisible Families. And I'm just going to read, read this because it kind of sums up, I think, what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, many of us unconsciously think of good Catholic families, in quotation marks, as large families. But good Catholic families come in all sizes. When the number of children is only one or two or none at all in the case of infertility, it might be the visible sign of parents who have suffered. I do have a large family, but mine isn't visible to the world. As Tom and I suffered through our miscarriages, we gained powerful prayer warriors in heaven, but since they can't be seen, they sometimes don't seem to count. And that sometimes hurts. Questions such as, did you want more or only three kids? are not meant to wound, but depending on the day or my mood or how recently I had experienced a loss, they could be devastating. Several years ago, I met a friend's mother. She asked about children and I proudly shared my daughters, two of them at the time, their names and ages. She smiled politely, but when another guest mentioned her five kids, my friend's mother lit up. That's wonderful, she gushed. So few people have that many these days. I had lost a baby just two weeks prior. I wanted to shout, I have more in heaven, doesn't that count? 
This woman didn't intend them to, but her words stung as sharply as if she had slapped me. Had she known my situation, she would never have said what she did. I know that. She just didn't know. And of course, I remained silent. Just as you want friends and family to be patient with you as you grieve, try to be patient with others who can't see or don't know about your beloved but invisible family. They don't mean to hurt you. Sometimes it's appropriate to mention the babies you've lost. It's a judgment call, depending on the circumstances, but I've had such conversations go from awkward to amazing. Your babies in heaven might be just the people to awaken a new sensitivity in someone who has spoken without thinking. So that's, that's just one story, you know, that, that I think kind of sums up that um, I still remember very vividly that feeling of, of what that woman said about the sure. five children. But again, I also know that she had no idea, mm-hmm. just as you were saying, you know, like we have no idea what's happening with somebody else's family. Right. Um, but to, to your other question, um, having experiences like that helped me um, to, to recenter and, and to, to realize when I'm the one being that woman in that story <laughs> to someone right. else. Am I, you know, am I silently judging? Am I presuming something about someone based mm-hmm. on what I know or have heard or think might be going on with them? You know, yeah. who, who am I of all people to judge or to decide who is living, you know, a good Catholic life or if they're doing the right thing? Um, right. We Such all, we all carry reminder. so many silent pains, you know, that we just simply can't know. And the mm-hmm. best thing we can do is, is um, assume the best and assume right. with charity uh, the best in everyone. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. And I, for one, I love it, actually, even if it sometimes creates an awkward moment when people share about children that they've lost, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's such a pro-life thing to do. And for me, in my relationships with people, even if I'm just getting to know somebody and they share that with me, it's an invitation to a greater sense of intimacy where they're they're inviting me in. They're sharing with me something very real. Yeah. And they're trusting you. Yeah. They're trusting you with something enormous and important and um, yeah, and inviting you into a deeper spiritual friendship. So yeah, I agree. Right, I think that's a beautiful thing. So people, don't be shy about sharing yes. it. I know sometimes people don't want to be calling attention to themselves or creating an awkward moment or confusion, yeah. but I think that's just a really beautiful thing. I recently had an experience where I met a man um, and he shared with me about his family and mentioned a, a recent miscarriage when he was listing about their children. And they had a large oh, family, but mm-hmm. um, and then later I met his wife and I mentioned it to her and she was so touched by the fact that he had described Mm -hmm. their family in this way. Uh Um, That's beautiful. Which brings me to the next topic I think maybe we should discuss is how men and women experience this differently. Because, Uh you know, you've already talked about the fact that when you're pregnant, it's such an intimate thing and you feel this instant connection to this other human being um, for the rest of your life. And a man's experience is different. Did you and your husband Mm -hmm. experience your miscarriages differently? Um, yes, in some ways. And then I would say, and, and going through it more than once, I would say we had, unfortunately, we had more practice at, mm-hmm. at getting through that. But um, yeah, there's one friend who shared with me for the book, um, how she can remember snapping at her husband, because he, he had no idea. It was a few weeks after a loss. And he was just sort of like, what's wrong with you today? You know, and mm-hmm. she was like, how can you ask me that? You know, we just lost a baby. And he was like, well, no, it happened a while ago. You know, he, he was ready to move on. Yeah. And, and so I think there is sometimes that divide because we are physically and intimately connected with the babies we've, we've lost in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for some couples that that's the divide or that's the difficulty they have to overcome. 
with other people, and I think Tom and I experienced this initially, um, oftentimes the father, the husband feels like he has to be the rock for his wife. Mm -hmm. She's the one going through the physical loss, you know, whether he has, has helped her through that at home, or maybe she had to go to the hospital and, mm -hmm. and have a DNC, whatever it is. He often feels like he has to be the rock and that he doesn't want to break down and be the emotional one because he's trying to be there for her, which mm -hmm. is a, a beautiful thing for him to do. Um, but then I would urge men like, don't do that to the detriment of sharing with your wife how much you're grieving too. Mm -hmm. um, I can remember at various times with different losses when my husband, Tom, opened up to me and told me what he was feeling or how his heart was breaking. And that just, it brought us closer. It, it got us both through it. Right. And um, so I could appreciate both things. I appreciated that he was that rock when I was first physically falling apart and emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, but that as time went on, that we could both share how difficult this was. Um, so I just always, you know, I urge the fathers too to be willing to open up and share about how it's hard on them too. And they right. don't have to be afraid to talk about that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And just, I, you know, I think it's important always in your marriage to be, you know, forthcoming about what you need and what yes. you want yes. and never more so than when you're going through something difficult. Um, right. It, you know, so if it's a miscarriage or um, some other loss or some other disappointment that you're suffering together, I think there's so much to be gained by being honest and open with one another. Like, yes. I don't, I don't need you to be a rock right now. I need you right. to be a, a human partner, yes. right? Exactly. That's yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I want to know that this was hard for you too. I want to know you're grieving too. That's mm -hmm. important. You know, yeah. who, who doesn't want to know that their husband's also grieving? And mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it just every aspect of it needs to be discussed at some point. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about some practical things because, you know, uh, some people listening maybe have a friend who's recently suffered a miscarriage and they're in that awkward place of, it, like I said, as a culture, we're not great at it. Sometimes we mm -hmm. want to gloss over. Um, yeah. we, we end up maybe saying something hurtful, like, oh, you'll get pregnant again in a minute or, you know, whatever right. it is, right. um, which is not helpful, by the way. Right. Maybe we should start there. What are some things yeah. never say, <laughs> yes. right? And then yeah. we'll get to what to say. But yeah. I, I mean, maybe not necessarily ones you've heard yourself, but I think that there, you probably have a list of stuff that people should we've not say. All, we've all, yeah. I think anyone who has been through it has heard the things. And again, I know people meet people mean well. They're trying to say something that is going to help you through the moment, or they're trying to deal with their own discomfort at, mm -hmm. at grief, you know, with death and grief. Um, but yeah, don't, don't say, you know, well, I guess I was just meant to be, or that this baby mm -hmm. just wasn't meant to be, you know, that right. was never helpful to me. Um, don't say, well, I guess, you know, God wanted this baby more than you did. Um, Yikes. Yeah. Well, what kind of image of God is that? I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> no. I just, I've heard that and I don't know what that one means. Um, you know, it's, I've, I've also heard like, well, I guess it was in God's plan that you go through this or, well, this was God's will. You, that's what you need to accept. Mm -hmm. um, and I always want to share you like, you know, God, God has an active and a passive will. Mm -hmm. And the passive will might be that he allowed me to lose these five babies. He didn't come down and miraculously intervene, but right. that doesn't mean that he preordained or willed it. You know, right. my body went through thing. certain things. Yeah. That, that, you know, allowed me to lose these babies. But what he does do is he will be with me in every loss and every suffering. Mm -hmm. I, that's, I know that is his will. And I know that is what I experienced. Um, but to just, 
I, I think when a woman has lost a baby hears, well, it must've been God's will. It's sort of like suck it up and right. accept it, you know, instead of saying, you know, like something terrible happened to you, our loving God is with you through this pain. Mm -hmm. That's going to be much more helpful than just, it was God's will. So time right. for you to move on, right. um, you know, or, or you'll have another, you know, or mm -hmm. you, well, you have other children at home or you, well, you don't know if you'll have another, you might not, you know, mm -hmm. um, yes, you have other children at home, but they weren't this baby. I can exactly. remember having that exact thought. Um, so those are some of the things that are not very helpful. Yeah. So, all right. But now switching to the positive, what kinds of things did people say or do during your times of grieving that were especially helpful? Yeah. You know, a simple, I'm sorry goes such a long way. Just, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. Even I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. Right. Is, I think it's helpful. Like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because I, what do we say in the face of death in, in the moment that someone loses someone, whether it's a baby, whether it's a sibling, whether it's a husband or a wife or a parent, I'm so sorry that you lost this person you love is the most heartfelt thing that you right. can say to someone. Um, I'm, and I'm praying for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, small tangible gifts, just things that when you lose a baby early, <clears throat> excuse me, my losses were all within the first, you know, three to one, one was closer to four months, but, um, it, you, you don't really have anything to hold on to and right. you don't, you don't have memories, you don't have keepsakes. Um, so, you know, small gifts. Um, I remember someone who gave me a plant, you know, and I was like, oh, I'm not personally very good with plants, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a plant that can keep growing or, you know, or I planted a tree in your child's name, mm -hmm. um, asking someone, you know, did you name your baby or what, what name did you give your baby? I would love to ask your baby to pray for you and to pray for me. Um, you know, That's presuming beautiful. on God's mercy and knowing that, um, you know, as our church teaches, um, limbo, I'd like to point out limbo was never an official doctrine of the church. Um, the church does not say that these baby souls are in limbo. Um, mm -hmm. The church says that God is a merciful God and that he will, you know, take innocence to him. And so presuming that the child is, is in heaven mm -hmm. um, was also very helpful to me when people would, you know, presume that and understand yep. when I said that I do believe my babies are praying for me. Yeah. Um, and just listening, you know, just when I had one of those days where I was feeling so sad and maybe it was, you know, six months after a loss, but I was missing that baby or I was thinking about how, oh, this was my due date or, oh, you know, yeah. what, whatever it might be. Just having that friend that is willing to just sit down with you and listen and cry with you and know that sometimes you just need to talk about that child. Mm -hmm. That was right. always really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. Just being present to each other and, yes. um, mm -hmm. you know, letting your friend know that you're available if they, they mm -hmm. want to talk about the baby. And yeah. I think it goes a long way. I think in my own experiences that if, um, if you reach out to somebody and without forcing them to talk about it, but let them know you're okay with it if they want to talk about it because right, that's exactly. what they're dealing with it right, right. Not, you're not going to like remind them of something painful they've exactly. completely forgotten like exactly yeah. exactly yeah you know i had um and this, now this is a different case i had a friend a couple of years ago who had a baby who died the day before he was due oh, um and yeah it was a terrible terrible um terribly sad thing and, um, and that is different than a miscarriage, but, um, I just, 
I felt so called and compelled to do something every month for the next year when she would have been, you know, seeing that baby at a month old, at two months mm -hmm. old. And it was just whether it was a little card or a gift or something. And I do remember a mutual friend saying at one point, like, oh, aren't you afraid? Like, what if you like catch her on a good day? And then she sees that and she's I was like, no, there's no way she's not thinking about this yeah. baby every day very aware coming of this. year. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And you know, I when you said just be present, um, yeah, I remember one of the titles I even thought of for this book was just sit with me. Oh. <laughs> and it sometimes comes down to that, you know, that's mm -hmm. sometimes just all that we need when we're grieving. Absolutely. Such beautiful advice. The book we're discussing is called After Miscarriage, A Catholic Woman's Companion to Healing and Hope. My guest today is Karen Edmiston. You can find out more about Karen and all of her work and her family and all the different ways she shares so beautifully and personally through her writing at karenedmiston.com. Karen, I really want to thank you for sharing about this topic in particular, because I think it's so needed, so necessary, and you do it so very well. And from a voice of wisdom and experience and just truly lovingly from woman to woman in a way that's so needed today. Thank you so much for sharing in this way. Well, thank you. You are very kind. And I thank you so much for having me on to talk about this. I, it is an important topic and one that um, I think we women need each other in this area and we need to be talking about it. So thank you. Thank Absolutely. you for sharing about this. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So again, her website is karenedmiston.com. We're going to have that linked up in the show notes that are always available at ascensionpress.com. If you can't even remember to go to ascensionpress.com, know that you can subscribe to the show notes and get them sent right to your inbox. Just text the word girlfriends to 33777. Then you will get all of the information about every show, including Karen Edmiston's awesome book, After Miscarriage, A Catholic Woman's Companion to Healing and Hope, sent right to you in your inbox. Coming up, we've got some more listener feedback for you, so don't go anywhere. But first, we're going to take a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to The Girlfriends Podcast. Every one of us is made in the image of God. We are unique, worthy of love, and called to greatness. In this world, though, we can be distracted from that truth and begin to doubt God's love is real. You see, we live in a world that tells us we are not smart, attractive, thin, or rich enough. It is easy to focus on the ways we fall short of worldly perfection and forget that we are already made perfect. We are already enough. I'm Danielle Bean, author of You Are Enough what women of the Bible teach you about your mission and worth. You Are Enough dives into the stories of women in the Bible so that you can fully see God's plan for your life. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome back. Now we're at the point in the show where I like to share just a little bit of listener feedback. And um, this week I chose an email that I received from listener Diane, who wrote to me, Dear Danielle, I'm glad you talked about family trips in your recent podcast. How do you ever get a minute to yourself to make it happen? How do you find the energy for a family trip? 
This summer, I've been home with our four kids, ages 3, 5, 7, and 10. Summer camps are closed, and even our family vacation needed to be changed due to coronavirus. Now we're planning to visit my in-laws for five five days in another state, and I feel like between the kids being underfoot and household stuff piling up, I can never even get a moment to plan, never mind pack, for our trip. I have all these great memories of family vacations as a kid growing up, and now I just wonder how in the world my mother did it all. I feel like I'm drowning, and I suppose the fact that I'm pregnant doesn't help, and the fact that it's about a thousand degrees here in Virginia doesn't help either. I'd take any advice or ideas you want to share for helping me get my act together. Thanks, Diane. Okay, so there's a lot going on there, Diane. And my first response when I read your email was, oh my gosh, girlfriend, give yourself a break. You've got a lot going on. (laughs) You know, you just casually mentioned the pregnancy at the end, which is huge, which is a huge sap on your time and your energy that you're able to put into other things give yourself a break. It sounds like you're you're being pretty hard on yourself for not getting your act together so-called when your act is a lot of things. You've got a lot of stuff going on. And yeah, I shared about our family trip recently and that took a lot of time and energy on my part for sure, not only in the planning of it but in the execution of it and it was tiring. You know, going on a trip and planning for it, there's a lot of energy that goes into that. But I'm in a very different place than you are, Diane. I am in a very different stage of life. And for sure, we went on family trips when my kids were all little and our family life looked very different. Um, And the way that I managed it back then was very different. And I had uh, less capacity for doing it. And there were corners that I cut that maybe I wouldn't cut now. And I'm just in a different life stage than you are. You are in Let's let's call it what it is. It's a very difficult stage that you're in right now. It's a very demanding time in your family life. It for sure is requiring a lot of your energy just to stay afloat. You know, you talk about feeling like you're drowning. Well, you know, just staying afloat, keeping your head above water and keeping your, your family going and running each day during this summer, during this time of COVID, during this uh, time when summer camps are closed and You've got uh, physical demands of the pregnancy and the mental demands of having the kids around is, uh, more often than they usually are, perhaps. Definitely give yourself a break. So that's my first advice to you, Diane. Give yourself a break. Set your bar just a little bit lower. And then second, I want to encourage you to ask for help wherever you can look for it. Now, this isn't just about planning your family vacation. Um, you can certainly ask for help from your husband for that, perhaps from your in-laws who you're going to visit in whatever way they're able to help you with the planning. Uh, Perhaps you could get a mother's helper or a babysitter that could help um, and free up some of your time just to get some of that household stuff out of the way or so that you feel more organized and, and like you can go on and enjoy a family trip. So ask for help wherever you're able to get it. There might be a good girlfriend that you could swap babysitting with. Um, Your 10-year-old can for sure be of help. I don't know him or her, but uh, 10-year-olds are very capable of helping out with younger kids or basic household chores. Make sure that you are asking for the help that you need. Um, And then I, I want to encourage you to also mitigate what your expectations are. So I already said, maybe set your bar a little lower, but mitigate what your expectations are for what you're going to accomplish every day. It sounds like you've got high standards. I bet you're a type A personality. Um, but, you know, make sure that you're taking breaks in your day, especially physically as a, as a pregnant mama during these hot summer months. Make sure you're getting a break in the AC. I don't know if you have AC in your house, but 
Um, like we, we have AC in our bedrooms. And when I was pregnant, I used to, in the summertime, just take little sanity breaks physically and mentally, just go lie down in my room for a little while and um, get that kind of boost that you can get from that taking time out physically and mentally. It's truly important. And then you mentioned your mom. And, and this was interesting to me because this is something I think a lot of women do. And I know I do it too. We kind of have these memories, especially those of us who are blessed to have a wonderful childhood. We have these memories of our childhood and we kind of put our moms on a pedestal and we, we kind of set that as a standard. But, you know, I might encourage you to talk to your mom about it. Talk to your mom about what her experience was of those family trips that you have such fond memories of. Because if you remember it all going so smoothly and everything was great, she probably was, you know, working her tail off behind the scenes to make it happen and might have had her own physical and mental exhaustion in the doing of it all. So maybe talk to your mom about that and it might help you feel a little better about your current circumstances. And to be able to recognize, and this is the most important thing I want to say to you, Diane, you are doing great. You are doing great. And, you know, it sounds like you, maybe you're a little bit disappointed in what you're able to accomplish every day, but you are doing great. And just the fact that you emailed me about this and, and that you want to be planning a good trip for your family tells me that you're a good mom and you want to love your family and you want to love your family well. You want to do a good job of this whole mom thing. That's great. You are doing a great job. And sometimes we just need each other to, you know, remind us of that fact. You're a good mom, Diane, and you are doing a good job. Anybody listening, if you have any tips that you want to share with Diane, just for getting through those months as a pregnant mama in the summertime, or maybe specifically for planning a family trip and uh, some of the organization that goes into that, I'd love to hear from you. Or if you have your own question or topic that you'd like me to take up here on the podcast, you can always reach me, Danielle at DanielleBean.com. I'm Danielle Bean on every form of social media, so you can always connect with me there. You know I would love to feature your question, your topic, or your feedback on a future episode of Girlfriends. Now, that's all the time we have for this week's show, but I want to thank you for being a part of today's podcast. Special thank you to Karen Edmiston for coming on and sharing her heart. She's such a gift to the church, and I hope you will check out her book, Go to ascensionpress.com to get the link to all of those resources. But in the meantime, I'm so grateful that you've been here and that you've been a part of today's show. You are the reason I record, girlfriends. You are the reason this show exists. I'm so grateful that you are here and that you are connecting with me each week. Thank you for that. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. <laughs>